What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Be Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Monday, December 5th, 2022, as we're talking some Cardinals, hot stove, winter meetings, extravaganza. Things are getting hot and heavy in San Diego. If you've listened to recent B-Shafe Dailies, you know I'm not out there at the winter meetings this year. Got the newborn at home, so wasn't going to make it work for this year. But we're still discussing all the goings-on here on the show. So thank you guys for stopping in. Want to jump right into what we've got going on tonight, which is basically just trying to make sense of the latest scuttlebutt, which for Monday was a lot of talk about the Cardinals zoning in on a catcher. They're looking for that everyday option to replace Yadier Molina. I've talked on the show about how I don't want to completely see the Cardinals dismiss Andrew Kisner, but it definitely is a need that the team needs to go out and fulfill to get a guy that can at least catch the bulk of the games. It could be 90 games. It could be 100 games. It could be 120 games. Anywhere in that range, I think, is fine. I would prefer to see Kisner still get that 50 to 60 games behind the plate. And if he doesn't take a step forward offensively, then you can cut bait after the season and or you can just kind of accept that, okay, he's a backup and that that is what it is. But I still feel like there's something more in there for Andrew Kisner. I've talked to a lot of Cardinals fans, though, who have given me their opinion and say, I don't believe in Kiz. I, I, I you know, that. I don't see it the way you do. That's totally fine. That's just my own personal take on the situation. A lot of people don't see the Lars Nupar situation the way I see it, whereas I would make him an everyday player, a fixture in the outfield based on what we saw last year, at least give him that opportunity beginning 2023 and kind of see what he does with it. Other people say, no, you could trade him for a catcher. You could trade him in this deal or that deal. And people have differences of opinion, and that's what kind of makes this season really fun because we've all got what we think the Cardinals should do. And, of course, all of us are correct, 100%. There's no debating uh, what each of us has to say, even though we may not agree with one another. We're still both 100% correct. There's no denying any of that. But then the Cardinals, of course, have their own interpretation of what they think they ought to do and then what they're going to be able to physically pull off in the trade market and free agency. And so that's what makes it fun. We can sort of dive into speculation we can say, well, it seems like the Cardinals are leaning this way. Can they pull it off? And if they do, what would that move maybe then lead into like a series of dominoes and make things really fun and exciting over the coming weeks ahead of the Christmas holiday? Winter meetings, we feel like this could be a week where a lot goes down. Uh, really, it's Monday through Wednesday, typically. I, I, I haven't looked too closely at the schedule, given that I am not going this year. But so I recalled in the past years, by Wednesday night, a lot of things can tend to sort of die down and Thursday in the past has been the Rule 5 draft. I don't know if they've uh, if they've changed that this year or not. And now that I'm looking that up, it's actually Wednesday, uh, December 7th, I think, is the Rule 5 draft. And that kind of wraps up the event. And in past years when it's taken place, the Cardinals executives, uh, like Mosellock anyway, sometimes they're already out of town because he's not necessarily the guy that runs the Rule 5. They've got other executives that are involved in that, whatever the case might be. So, Within the next couple of days, my point is, you might end up seeing some action. So tonight, what I want to focus on is a couple of things. Try not to go too long with you guys because I'd rather do short bursts where we're talking about what's relevant during the day, not waste an hour. Not that I wasted an hour when I did a podcast a couple of days ago. There was a lot of news to get to in that one. But I don't want to go on super long, and then a day later, all this news ends up happening that sort of makes the previous day's stuff irrelevant. So want you to be able to digest what's going on. We can kind of talk our way through some of the stuff. Right now, it's zeroing in on that catcher like we talked about. 
who the options could be. If you missed the last episode, that hour is all still pretty fresh and relevant uh, because I don't think any of the other shortstops besides Turner have come off the board. The Cardinals haven't really made any big moves yet, and so everybody's just sort of wondering still what it could end up looking like. But we'll talk about one catcher in particular today, Sean Murphy of the Oakland Athletics. We haven't really brought his name up a whole lot. We talked about the Blue Jays' options in a previous episode. We've talked some Wilson Contreras, and I'll I'll dive in a little bit more on Contreras if it's relevant to sort of the way I describe what my ideal offseason plan would be for the Cardinals because you could sign a Contreras and spend the $20 million or $25 million per year, whatever that ends up being, and that would accomplish the goal of getting the Cardinals their catcher. It would add a powerful bat to the lineup, which is what they want to do, um, but then you're, I feel like you're kind of maxing out at that point because I don't know how many other big contracts they're going to sign unless they're able to move away some money like a Paul DeYoung via trade, which seems sort of like a long shot. I know John Mozalak said on Monday night at the uh, out at the winter meetings when he had his little powwow with the media to end the day that, uh, you know, there's some teams interested in Paul DeYoung, but they're, uh, the Cardinals aren't ready to cut bait on him yet. I, I think that... Not that he's saying it tongue-in-cheek, but I think if the Cardinals had an offer where they could dump the salary of Paul DeYoung, they would not hesitate to do that. So we'll end up seeing what that looks like. But mostly, I feel like any big free agent signing, whether it's a Contreras or diving into the shortstop market or whatever the case may be, maybe a big starting pitcher, which I think there are impediments to that happening at this point. I think it should happen for the Cardinals on the pitching front, but there are reasons that it won't happen yet, and maybe not at all. But I feel like if that one big expenditure did take place, that sort of could box the Cardinals in a little bit on the free agent market unless some other pieces move. And at this point, and I guess I should mention, subscribe to B-Shape Daily on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Check out patreon.com slash B-Shape for 12 to support the show. I didn't really do my little intro. I just sort of jumped right into it today because I'm so gosh darn excited about the hot stove. So like I said, we'll talk about Sean Murphy, and then from the shortstop perspective, we're going to get into Dansby Swanson a little bit more because that seems to be, I mentioned the scuttlebutt, there's a lot of talk about Dansby Swanson right now with the Cardinals, and I think it's in conjunction with the notion of how they fix the catcher situation. If they're able to trade for a catcher, and Derek Gould reported this uh, Monday evening on on his Twitter account, writer for the Post-Dispatch, he sort of reported what we've been speculating could be the case. You trade for a catcher, And maybe in so doing, you end up moving an infielder as part of that deal because you've got some interesting names. Gorman, Nolan Gorman is one that we've talked about a lot just because I have on this show questioned the fit that he might have in the everyday lineup for the Cardinals. If he starts to slump, let's let's try to project a little bit. and We get into a world where it's mid-June and Nolan Gorman's hit some nice home runs, but then he starts to go into a bit of a slide. He's striking out a lot. They don't like the at-bats he's giving and they decide they're a little bit sour on him for the time being. So they bring in Brendan Donovan. He gets a little bit more at-bats. And everybody says, well, he can play anywhere. Brendan Donovan doesn't have to just be second baseman. And you're right about that. But there are nine guys that are going to be in the lineup every day. I don't think they'll be DHing Brendan Donovan very often just because his his defensive flexibility won him a gold glove this past year as a utility player. And so he could play a little bit corner outfield. But if you've got a healthy Tyler O'Neill. Let's just assume for right now we don't know which outfielders, if any, they're going to trade. But if you've got a healthy O'Neill, a healthy Carlson, Newt Barr, and then Jordan Walker, I said by June, so Jordan Walker should be up by June. And then you know who's at the corner out uh, infield, pardon me, Goldie and Arenado. You know Tommy Edmonds is going to be in the lineup, and if it's at shortstop, if they don't sign anybody, that's probably where it is. So you don't have a ton of spots that just magically exist for Brendan Donovan. Like the at-bats will come because injuries do take place, and he's just ready to step in for anybody. But like if you're projecting a lineup, Brendan Donovan just doesn't 
have a spot if you're going to place Gorman at second and assume they do get a bat to kind of fill in and he's not going to be the DH, but let's say it's a left-handed bat that can play outfield, but will also DH because sometimes O'Neill will DH and one day Arenado and one day Goldschmidt and they'll, they'll cycle it through very differently compared to how they did it last year with Albert because he was a first baseman or he was DHing and you've got a gold glove caliber first baseman in Paul Goldschmidt. So it was pretty much Albert Pujols going to be the DH. He hit like a DH, though, had an OPS around 900. It was 895 by the end of the season. That's amazing. Is our third best hitter. So, like, when I focus my conversation on the Cardinals offseason, I'm saying you got to upgrade the lineup just to get back to square one to where you were in 2022 with Albert Pujols. If you don't add a bat of that caliber, you're regressing. You know, assuming that you don't get a, a major step forward from some of the guys, which every year the Cardinals do sort of project that. And th- this coming year, I think you'll hear a lot about, well, we think Dylan Carlson's going to do better. We think Tyler O'Neill is going to get healthy and is going to have a better year for us. We think Newt Bark can sustain. Whatever the case might be, like those are the obvious positions. And then they will have pr- presumably added a catcher that they expect to have an OPS over 700, which would be a big upgrade over Yachty and Kisner from last year. So, like, those are you, that's John Mozalak two, three months into the future when we're hearing about this Cardinals team in February. Those are some of the lines that you're going to hear, provided the names that I mentioned are still actually on the roster in the organization. But other than that, you do have an Albert pujols size hole to fill. So that's why I keep focusing on an impact bat, and everybody's getting lost in the shuffle saying, well, Tommy Edmond could be a good shortstop. Yeah, he can, but you got to add an impact bat. I don't care where he plays because the essentially the guy you're replacing was a, was a designated hitter. So that gives the team flexibility. They can shop in whatever market they want. They can trade for a Brian Reynolds from the Pirates, which I think would be a fantastic thing to do. Granted, that's in the division. What prospects are they going to want? Like These are answers that we don't exactly have to these questions at this point, but if we had them, it would be a lot easier to sort of put the pieces together of, Okay, you make this trade, then you sign this guy, and then that frees you up to make this other trade. But we can't do all of that on the podcast. We can speculate. But my point that I'm trying to get to is that's the kind of offseason the Cardinals need to have is a trade that leads to a signing or a signing that leads to a trade that then allows another trade to happen. It's dominoes. And I think they have the pieces at the, in the different areas of the roster to make that work. And the different areas that we're talking about here are catcher. They need one. Infield, they've got what they need, but if they end up going into the shortstop market to sign somebody, that would free up an additional infielder potentially to be traded. We talked about Gorman. I personally wonder if Brendan Donovan would have interest for other teams. I think he may have more value to the Cardinals than he would in a trade. Like if you compared, just for, forget maybe the positional differences or what they bring to the table, if it's just a strict value proposition between Gorman and Donovan, what might other MLB teams value more? I would say generally, and I could be wrong about this, but generally teams might be looking at it and saying we prefer Gorman because that's a left-handed power-hitting bat that has, like we can dream about that upside and projectability, whereas Donovan was not a top prospect and nobody's going to fall over themselves to acquire him, I wouldn't think. But if you're the Cardinals, you can say that's fine. We don't need to trade him. We just, if we signed a shortstop, we'd have a glut of infielders because Tommy Edmonds shifts to second base on a pretty regular basis. And then that sort of leaves Nolan Gorman even more out in the cold than I already have anticipated that he might end up because I mentioned if he goes on that slump and Brendan Donovan steps right in, this is kind of talking in a circle. Sometimes it takes me a minute to get back to my point, but here's where I was about five or six minutes ago. 
when Gorman in mid-June goes on that one for 19 with eight strikeouts and, you know, you've had Brendan Donovan playing, I don't know, half the games or so. He's not playing every day. He fills in here and there, but he does a nice job just like he did this past year when he gets his opportunity. And then it's like slowly you start to recognize, oh, Donovan's just kind of becoming the everyday second baseman and we haven't seen a lot of Gorman recently. If that is the world in which we live by mid-June or July, you're going, man, it would have been nice if the Cardinals had capitalized on Nolan Gorman's prospect value back in December and cashed him in for a player that they really could use like a catcher. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think Gorman could absolutely, and again, what is valuable right now on the market? Left-handed hitting power, controllable bats. Gorman checks all of those boxes, forget what position he plays or doesn't. Like, he's got a lot of attractive features that I think other teams would be interested in. And Gorman could absolutely have a season in 2023 that makes you go, oh, he never should have been in discussion for a guy that you'd trade because he's got a bunch of years of team control left. He's a power hitter. He, you know, 2023, he ends up having a 30 home run season and he raises the the walk rate a little bit, has better plate discipline, and suddenly he's an all-star caliber hitter who has that lefty power swing that just is is somebody you throw right into the middle of a of a batting order against right-handed pitching. It's awesome. You know, he could end up being that guy. But if the Cardinals still have Donovan and still have Edmund and you're kind of watching the way a season could unfold when he goes through a slump, does Ollie Marmel stick with him? Or does he go, I, I, why would I keep Brendan Donovan or insert other scrappy player that comes up and does a nice job, Tommy Edmund, whatever? Why would I keep these guys out of the lineup when they're giving me consistent at-bats? I'm just going to have to kind of put Gorman on the back burner for a little bit and we'll just kind of get to it when we get to it. That sort of was the way Gorman was treated this past season and it made sense because you had Albert Pujols there and maybe I just don't believe in the the game plan for making sure Gorman gets those consistent opportunities even through struggles the way that Ali Marmel and the Cardinals have it set up in their heads. Like they might say, look, we lost Albert and so Gorman's going to be a big part of that DH mixture against right-handed pitching and Dylan Carlson hasn't hit righties, so we're going to mix and match, and we're going to find a way to get both those guys in the lineup, and Donovan's going to fill in, and everything's perfect. But I feel like with all that mixing and matching, you still lack elite thump in the lineup, protection for Arenado, for Goldschmidt, to really get this lineup where you want it to go. And so if you're going to make a trade for a catcher, which I think is the route that they should go unless they sign Christian Vasquez, and I don't know what the projections on Vasquez's salary would be, but I would hope it's like, I don't know, fewer than $10 million because if you're going the cheap route at catcher, the point is to save money. And if you don't accomplish that, then yeah, you might as well try to sign somebody more expensive and get more production. But in the case of where I'm checking this out now for MLB trade rumors, they've got Christian Vasquez listed for a three-year $27 million contract projection, which would be under that $10 million AAV. So that's not a huge expenditure you know, you could live with that. Do you love three years of Vasquez? I'd like it better at two. But then you're maybe back in this position again in a couple of years looking for a catcher. I am not as into the notion. And, like, again, hear what I'm saying. I want the Cardinals to spend money. I think it's to their benefit to raise the payroll and to make some big ads. But I don't know necessarily that just saying, well, they need a catcher. Wilson Contreras is a catcher. He's a really good offensive player. The projection here for MLB trade rumors is four years, $84 million. Just go do that, and you kill two birds with one stone. I'd rather go the trade market because I think 
the shortstop ad is a more reliable long-term expenditure of that money. Granted, four years, $84 million for Contreras, that's $21 million a year. That's not crazy. Dansby Swanson is listed for seven years, $154 million. That feels like a lot for Dansby Swanson. But nevertheless, the Cardinals are in rumors anyway to be intrigued by the lad. 28 years old. He'll turn 29 before the season. You know, a former top draft pick, that's the pedigree that you appreciate. But I'm just going to read you his OPS by season starting in 2016 when he had a partial year. 803, 636, 699, 748, 809, 760, 776. So, like, for the past four years, been pretty darn solid, averaging around that 760, 770 range. For his career, he's a 738 OPS. And in the last couple of years in particular, he's been durable, which matters. Played 160 and then 162 games this past year. It's impressive. Was an all-star. 27 and 25 home runs. 88 and 96 RBIs. Those are numbers that are jumping off the page for people to the extent that I had somebody on Twitter tell me that Dansby Swanson was a superior hitter to Xander Bogarts, who's also a free agent shortstop out on the market that some people say the Cardinals should go for. He's a little bit older, 30 years old, but really that's just about a year and a half older or so. He won't turn 31 until the end of the 2023 season, Xander Bogarts. Lesser defensively, Dansby Swanson, what are the upsides to him? He's a really good defensive shortstop. He's hit 25-plus homers in each of the past two seasons. He's driven in around 90 RBIs in each of the past two seasons. But for me, when I look at RBIs, I love them. But at the same time, I don't think they are predictive. I think it's great if a guy's got that knack, the ability to drive in runs. That's awesome. It's not predictive, though, of how many RBIs he's going to get the next year or what his OPS is going to be or what his slugging or what is on base or any of that. It's just were there guys on base and did he knock them in? And it's a very team-oriented stat. You've got to have guys on in front of you unless you're hitting solo home runs every time. Others are contributing to your RBI totals. It's inevitable. You could be a great hitter, batting third in a lineup, but if your top two guys that bat in front of you have low on-base percentages, you're probably not going to get as many RBIs as the guy who, say, played on the Atlanta Braves for the last couple of years and was uh, part of a very dynamic lineup. So I'm not overly sold on that. I'd rather look at OPS. I'd rather look at weighted runs created plus or OPS plus, which in the case of Dansby Swanson the last couple of years, here's what those numbers are, which I'll give you OPS plus because I happen to have baseball reference pulled up. 100 is league average for his position. 2021, 99 was his OPS plus. That is a 1% below league average as a hitter. 27 homers, that's great. Look at all the other numbers. 248 average, which I don't care about batting average, but he doesn't get on base at a high clip. 311 on base, 450 slug. So solid numbers, but not anything that blows you away. And I don't think an upgrade necessarily over Tommy Edmond, who's kind of that low to mid OPS of 700s type of guy. I said that wrong, but you know what I meant. 2022, Dansby Swanson, 776 OPS, a 115 OPS plus. So that's 15% above average. For a shortstop, that's pretty good. And remember, elite defense, so the wins above replacement likes him. He plays good defense, very good defense at a very difficult position. Tommy Edmond, for instance, this past season, 108 OPS plus, 725 OPS. So Dansby, the superior hitter, I think Tommy's probably almost as good defensively. Certainly at second base, he's gold glove caliber. And then at shortstop, I think he really filled in and did a nice job. 
But you could say that Dansby has the edge defensively at short, the edge as a hitter, slight though it may be. I'll give you both of that. I don't think the difference between Tommy Edmond and Dansby Swanson is seven years, $154 million. Because the goal for me is not to have the Cardinals get a shortstop. It's to have the Cardinals get an impact bat. And if I'm looking at the OPS plus 99, 115 for Dansby, noting that from 17 to 19, his second, third, and fourth year in the league, his OPS plus was 68. That means he's 32% below league average. 87, 13% below league average. 89, 11% below league average. Three years in a row where he played full seasons. 2020, the COVID year, played all 60 games and hit an 809 OPS, a career high. And then has had the ability to follow that up the last couple of years with some pretty good numbers. But not elite, not 895 Albert Pujols OPS. You'd be going a little bit of a different route. This would be to say we need that elite defense that a Dansby Swanson can bring. We want to lock that down. We want to move Tommy Edmond to second. And we'll have the best defensive infield in baseball. No question. Goldie, Edmond at second, Swanson at short, Arenado at third would be the best defensive infield in, the, in, in major leagues. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But, like, the Cardinals have already done that, and it's worked out pretty well. The pitching staff loves it, obviously. I still wonder, though, if you're going to spend that kind of money on Dansby Swanson, if that's your the way you want to go in the, the free agent market, it means no Contreras, which is fine. I'm already not advocating for that because I, I've made my point that I think as good of a hitter as Contreras is, if you're signing him to a four- or five-year contract, years maybe even three, four, and five when he's 32, 33, 34, whatever, the age, 35, depending on how long you have him, I think he's a guy that his OPS will dip below 800, which 800 is a very good OPS, so as long as he's above that, I feel really good about that from anybody, but especially my catcher. But he was a part-time catcher last year, part-time DH. And so if he filters into a half-time catcher and then he's catching 70 games and he's catching 75 games, I don't know that you're getting the value of that contract. You're not really getting the everyday catcher resolved if he's not going to be able to hit and handle the workload behind the plate as he ages beyond 30 into his mid-30s. So if I'm spending 20-plus million on a guy on an average annual value, i got to make sure he's the right fit. I know they need a catcher, but don't just try to say one plus one equals two and say, well, we need a catcher. He's a catcher. Let's do it. We've got money to spend. Go do it. I think there could be better ways to do that. Xander Bogart, seven years, $189 million, a little bit of a higher projection than what uh, MLB Trade Rumors has for Swanson. But that Bogart's contract, if I'm doing some quick math here, would be over $25 million a year. It would be $27 million per year for seven years. And then for Swanson, it would be, oh, a little bit less than that, obviously, but still over 20. It'd be $22 million a year. Similar average annual value to Contreras, but additional years on that. I just don't know if DNSB Swanson is a $22 million a year player, and he might be, but the Cardinals already have the poor man's DNSB Swanson essentially as their shortstop. It's Tommy Edmond. Doesn't hit for quite as much power. Maybe he's a little bit lesser defensively. He's younger. He's probably got more speed. And he's way cheaper. Even if he's a little bit lesser, he's not lesser by the degree of what that contract would be, in my opinion. And I've also said, though, hey, just because you sign a shortstop doesn't mean you don't get to still have Tommy Ebbett on your baseball team. So, Brendan, don't say it's a one-for-one swap. 
you still get to move Edmund to shortstop from shortstop, pardon me, to second base. But then you have to ask the question, okay, is Tommy Edmund at second base? If, if Edmund's not the guy you're replacing in your lineup by getting Swanson, that's fine. Plug Swanson in at short, and then imagine you're moving Edmund to second. What are you replacing there? What is the opportunity cost of this move? Not And that doesn't even get into the terms of the opportunity cost of acquiring Swanson instead of another player. I'm just talking about on your roster. Now Edmund's your second baseman. That means that Gorman isn't. That means that Donovan isn't. How much better is Edmund to the team in that role as a fixture every day than the other guys that would have filled the spot? Or does Edmund become sort of a platoon the way that Donovan does and Edmund shifts and plays a little bit of outfield, whatever the Cardinals need him to do? That could be. I'm not here to decide that. That'll be for Ali Marmel and John Mosellek to decide. But how much of an upgrade is that? To have Swanson and then Edmund move over, I think it's marginal. I mean, I think I think Swanson's a good player and would be a good fit for the Cardinals. But I think for the price, it's a marginal upgrade. But what it would allow you to do is trade Gorman or Donovan or maybe a Mason win. That might make people uncomfortable. But if you're getting Sean Murphy who's a catcher that I think is the top of the Cardinals' wish list. Let me take a quick aside from the shortstop conversation because it's all interconnected. That's the point I'm trying to make. Sean Murphy, three and a half wins above replacement this past year. Catcher for the Oakland Athletics. He's first year arbitration eligible in 2023, which means under contract for 23, team control for 24, team control for 2025 would be a free agent for 2026. So you'd have him for three years. And his numbers are solid. With Oakland, he's 27 years old. In 2022, he had a 759 OPS, which for a catcher, 120 OPS plus, 20% above league average at the catcher position. 2021, he was a little bit lesser than that, 98 OPS plus, right around league average. But he's had parts of four seasons, an OPS for his career of 755, OPS plus of 114. I think that's about who he is. He's a solid hitter at the at a position where you don't always find that he's going to 15 to 20 home runs. He's had 17 and then 18 homers the last two seasons. So he's a 15 to 20 home run guy, a little bit above average offensively. Going to hit two, 240, on base 330, 320, slug over 400. Solid number from a catcher, especially when you look last year and from Kisner and Yachty, you're getting 580 OPS, 605, you know, whatever the OPS was. Be a huge upgrade to get Sean Murphy offensively what he would bring to the table, I think, for the Cardinals. And then you look at his defensive prowess. He caught 116 games last year, DH'd only 30. So I think a guy in his his catching prime could be 110, 120 games behind the plate. That would be valuable and uh, positive in terms of defensive runs saved and, and all the metrics there. So by all accounts, a pretty good catcher defensively. Three years of team control, what's that worth? I mean, Nolan Gorman might even be a bit of an overpay, but if the A's don't want him, then we're kind of we're kind of at a loss anyway. We're wasting our time. We don't know exactly what the A's want. Everybody seems to want pitching, and the Cardinals have pitching, but they don't really have controllable stud pitching. They've got, like, Libertor, who's projectable. He's a prospect. He's a lefty. He throws hard. Do you want that? We don't really know. I'd be willing to trade Libertor this offseason. I think this is the time to do it unless you're bought in that he's going to eventually ascend to make good on the promise of top 100 prospect status. 
I've sort of lost a little bit of the faith that he'll do that. So I'd be looking to move him this offseason. It's not to say he can't be a solid player, but I think now you could still capitalize on some of the shininess attached to his name without having to take on the risk of whether he will or whether he won't. Because you know Sean Murphy will. You know what he's going to be. He's done it for several years. He fits exactly what you're looking for. So if Libertor is part of that, great. Going back to the Frankie Montas talks with Oakland last year, I don't know that Oakland cares about Matthew Libertor. So, you know, maybe that's not really a situation that you're looking into. Lars Newtbar, I said back then I wouldn't trade him for Montas. I still wouldn't trade him uh, when it comes to Sean Murphy because I said I wouldn't trade him for Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk, and I think Kirk's probably the best of the three just because of the youth and the length of team control assigned to him. He's 24-year-old catcher for the Blue Jays. Jansen, I believe, is about 27, 28 years old. Another one of the Blue Jays catchers. I've said on this show I'd trade Tyler O'Neill for Jansen. Both of them have two years of control remaining. I don't know that the Blue Jays would be into that because I think they want a lefty bat, kind of like Newtbar, but Tyler O'Neill is a righty bat, so that may not be a fit for them. But, like, you're exploring all of these potential options, and I think I would trade Gorman as well, but I, but that's the one that's really tough. Like, Gorman for Sean Murphy, I would probably plug my nose and do it. I don't know what other considerations have to be in there. Maybe Oakland typically not wanting to have a high payroll, but maybe if they'd take on some Paul Young money as part of that deal, that would make it a little bit more appetizing to me. But I think solving your catcher crisis, it's not a crisis. I like Andrew Kisner. But solve the fact that the Cardinals won an everyday catcher means we should operate under those terms for our speculation. And it seems like that is the thing that could happen first. And if you happen to trade away somebody from your middle infield depth to do that, suddenly then it makes sense to sign a shortstop even more so than I already think it does, which I think it does because you need an impact bat and there are impact bats at shortstop. Of the three, Dansby, Swanson, Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, I think Dansby is the least impactful bat, but probably the best defender and probably the most affordable. Because when you look at the guy that I would sign, Carlos Correa, he is projected for nine years, $288 million. That is uh, over $30 million per season. It's uh, 32 to be exact on that projection. But also MLB trade rumors thought that Trey Turner was getting eight and 268, and he actually got 11 and 300. So it's not going to be exact. But I think you're looking in the range of a Trey Turner deal for Carlos Correa. And if it's about $28 million a year, $30 million a year, depending on the number of years, the more years, the lower the AAV, the shorter amount of the contract, the higher the AAV. That's just the way it's going to function. Turner opted for 11 years and $300 million, which means he comes in at slightly under that $30 million per year situation. But if Correa wants an eight-year deal, say, he could be eight years, $240 million. This has him at 9288. And so I think 8240 would be a little low. 8250 maybe. Nine in that 275, nine and 280, something like that. I think that's possible. Or he could opt for the full 11, give me the, the Turner deal. He could tell somebody, and I bet they'd do it because he's generally rated in the same area as Trey Turner. My point in all this is, and I know that the Cardinals have historically just not done this in the free agent market, they always are settling for second best. They're settling for the the contract that doesn't take them past their puke point. I'm talking Mike Leak. I'm talking Dexter Fowler, those five-year, $80 million types of deals. I don't think those are winning contracts in MLB in 2023. I, I think those are the wrong kinds of deals to be signing. 
And the Cardinals in DNSB Swanson, I think, would be signing the 2023 version of a Dexter Fowler deal. Swanson, a better player, I think, than Fowler was at the same time. But that being said, I think the comparison is here. There's somebody else in the market that if money were no object, you'd rather have. Money is an object, and they pinch the pennies, and they make sure they're they're calculated in all of this. And so you look at Carlos Correa and go, oh, gosh, we couldn't sign a 10-year, $300 million or whatever it's going to be contract for Correa. That's just too much of a commitment. But we'll take the lesser player for 65% of the risk and financial outlay, but we're only going to get 40% of the production. So it's not a great value proposition because I think Carlos Correa is a lock. I think Carlos Correa is going to give you the best value of anybody on the free agency market this offseason over the next decade. Maybe you could say Aaron Judge, but there's a question of whether he'll stay healthy. There's questions about the health for Correa as well. He's missed some time. But I just look at him as a complete player. Good defensive shortstop, good offensive player. So if I'm willing to to dip my toe into the market for, say, a Dansby Swanson because I think we need a shortstop or a bat or whatever, then I should be willing to say, let's just shop on a shelf one rung higher. Climb on that step stool and reach up a little bit higher and just sign Carlos Correa. That's what I would do. And I understand that's a big financial commitment. And I could see the ways that that would go wrong because you've got Arenado under contract. Then you'd have Correa. It'd be $30 million for both those guys. Goldie for a little while. you got to sign some pitching. It's got, I mean, it gets expensive, and it gets to be a lot of money tied up in just a couple of players. I understand it. But that's modern MLB. It's the cost of doing business. You look at what Philadelphia's done. They signed the Harper contract however many years ago, and they darn near won a World Series because of him. They got to the World Series this year, and they said, oh, we're close. Let's sign another $300 million contract. Let's go get Trey Turner. And they're saying, let's go win a World Series. That's the attitude I think that you got to have these days to give yourself a shot to win the World Series. Because I think what ends up happening is there is that premium that you have to pay on elite of the elite type of talent. And Correa is the one in this offseason that I think fits that description. I don't quite think Dansby Swanson does. I think offensively you can make the case for Bogarts, but I don't think he's the full package the way Correa is. He's a little bit older. He's not a good shortstop defender. I'd already have him at second, and I'd leave Edmund at short. And I've talked about the fact that I don't know what Bogarts wants. Like, does he want to be the man he wants to have the ego associated with on the shortstop, or does he not care? Is he content to be a middle-of-the-order bat on a winning team and get his paycheck? He's already said the Red Sox will have a chance to match whatever contract offer he's given. I think Bogarts would be a really fun addition to the Cardinals. I think he would be great for just, like, the the, the fit and the flow of the organization I think he brings personality. I think he'd be an awesome fit. But I worry about how he ages because he's a little bit older than the other shortstops we've talked about, how he ages already being a little bit lesser defensively. And if you give him like a seven or eight year contract, suddenly you're going, wow, that takes you pretty deep into it. Remember how Johnny Peralta toward the end of his career was. I don't even think he was quite that old by the end of it uh, with his deal with the Cardinals. You you kind of run that risk. Johnny Peralta was great during his prime, but then your prime ends and you're left with going, oh, boy, you're still running him out there at shortstop. You don't want to get yourself into those situations, and that's why the Cardinals, I think that's why they like Dansby Swanson because they project that, yeah, he's a little bit more low upside, but he feels safe. To me, I look at the way he built his offensive production the last couple of years, 27 and 25 home runs, 
I don't know enough about what Truist Park does as a home ballpark as far as offensive numbers, but I know that Bush is bad for them. So if you specifically had good home run totals, which led to average OPS of 760, 776, a little bit above league average for OPS plus, not a huge slugging, but a slugging that was highly predicated upon hitting 25 homers instead of 16. You take Dansby Swanson's home run total and you make it 16 instead of 25 and you give him nine additional flyouts because Bush Stadium didn't hold, you know, didn't allow the ball to go over the fence and somebody caught it for an out. Dansby Swanson's numbers are very mediocre offensively. And there was a world in which he's already performed that way. 2018 with 14 homers, he had a 699 OPS. 2019, 17 homers, 748 OPS. A little bit better that year. He's done that before, though. He's had below average offensive seasons when he didn't hit 20 home runs. And if he does revert back to that at some point, he's Tommy Edmond. They're the same guy. Like, maybe Swanson's better defensively. I'd have to watch every game that both of them play for two years, and I can make a determination. But, like, we are splitting hairs at that point. Is that worth 20-something million to shift Edmund to second base and then to say we're trading away Gorman, Donovan, whomever, to fit the rest of the pieces? Or do you just say, well, if we're going to spend $22 million, let's just spend 30 and do it for an extra three years, and now Carlos Correa is on your baseball team, and you're going to be damn good for the next five or six years until he, you know, until you regret the last few years of that contract, but it doesn't matter because you've already won a World Series or two. And uh, it coincided with the the waning twilight years of Goldschmidt and and still the prime of Arenado. That's what you that's what you have to do. It's what the Phillies have done by signing Trey Turner. Does it cost a lot? Sure, but that's the cost of doing business if you want to win. I think a World Series in the modern game. So this is a lot of bluster, a lot of talk about what the Cardinals should do. The reason I feel comfortable having spent so much time on the shortstop part of this conversation is because they are reported to be in that market, but. It's specifically for Dansby. And my takeaway that I want you to have from this episode is if you're going to sign Dansby, just pay Correa instead. Not because Dansby's a bad player, but because I think Correa is the example of getting the defender in the bat that isn't going to evaporate on you if Bush Stadium ends up costing you some home runs for a guy. I really have that concern about Swanson because we've seen him have multiple seasons where his OPS was below 700. 2017 and 2018, that was the case for him. Maybe he just improved as a player. Guys do that as they grow, and he's in his prime right now, and he'll be a solid bat, and I really do think that defensive infield would be spectacular. I just would like to see them really go for the gold and go get Correa, but let's just say they don't. Let's say they really are set on Swanson. I think the offseason could still go in a really interesting way. You do that, then that opens you up to trade an infielder, Gorman would make sense, but then you would say, well, Swanson's not a ton of power. Maybe they want to have Gorman around to be a power bet. Would anybody want Brendan Donovan for a catcher? I don't know. But you trade those guys along with some extra pitching, Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford, uh, I'm probably forgetting, Libertor. All three of those guys can go in a trade that gets you a catcher. You don't trade all three of them in that same trade, but you make that sort of move. Is there a team out there that is a contending team that wants a pitcher to help him win in 2023. Jack Flaherty is the guy that you float to that team, and maybe you restock the farm a little bit, get a prospect or a piece. Maybe it's a bat that can help you, a one-for-one for for a guy on an expiring contract. I don't know off the top of my head who that bat is, 
There are probably people out there who have researched it at B Schaefer 12. Send me a message on Twitter and I'll, I'll get into it. Like Brian Reynolds is not the guy that you trade. Uh, you trade Jack Flaherty to get because the Pirates don't want a Jack Flaherty on an, on an expiring contract. I don't know what the Cardinals have that you could get Brian Reynolds with, but that's the move I'm making. If it's Gorman, so be it. If it's Mason Wynn, I'm probably still doing it. Do they want to control the outfielder like Dylan Carlson? Yeah, we could have a conversation about that. That'd be uncomfortable. But I think, honestly, Brian Reynolds is what you hope Dylan Carlson turns into. So could I plug my nose and do that trade? I, I probably could. Then you have some questions about center field because I don't think he projects Brian Reynolds as a good quality defensive center fielder the way Dylan does the next five years. But I'd love to get Brian Reynolds for right field and then probably move Newt Barr to left. And then you go, well, who wants Tyler O'Neill for a couple of years? He finished in the top 10 MVP last year. Not last year, but 2021. Can you get Danny Jansen for that guy? Can you get him into a package with a, a pitcher? like Libertor, and then you get your catcher. Like, there are so many different ways that this could go. The segments of your roster are need a catcher. You've got an outfield group that you could trade one of, and I'd like to keep Carlson and Newt Barr if I can. And then you've got a pitching staff where four of the guys are on expiring contracts. You probably want to re-up with Michaelis. You probably want to re-up with Montgomery. That's why you acquired him. Flaherty has probably had free agency written on him for the last couple of years, even without the injury situation. So maybe you just see what you can get for him in terms of uh, the present and start that process for him earlier, knowing that you've had your own issues trying to keep him on the field the past couple of seasons. But then there would be a rightful question of, okay, who's in the rotation now? Well, it's Jose Quintana. That's who you sign. I think there's enough money to do Swanson, Quintana, try to find somewhere for Paul DeYoung to land, trade, Flaherty and the little bit of salary that comes with him and you put Quintana in his spot and then you figure out the infield matrix that gets you a catcher in, in a trade and you trade away the extra pitchers like Hudson or Woodford or Libertor if it helps you as part of those deals like I recognize it sounds like I am uh, who is it Charlie Day I think and he's up at the uh, the bulletin board with all the push, push pins and everything. And he's he, crazy hair. looks like he's got it all figured out, but he also looks a little bit nuts. I realize that's kind of what I'm doing right here, but I legitimately think that you make a handful of moves, a couple trades, a couple signings and mix it all together. Those moving pieces could turn into one really dynamite roster. It just is hard to like, I think it would be great to see it happen. Hard to imagine John Mozeliak and company. They're only one front office and they'd have to make all these moves at once in a given offseason. Jerry DePoto of the Mariners does this for fun. Mosellock's front office has been more calculated and slower to act in its moves. But this might be a year where if you're the Cardinals, you set the market instead of reacting to it. It may start with that Swanson deal or p- potentially you go Bogarts or potentially you, you do the trade for a catcher first. I think they'd prefer to do the free agent signing and then know, okay, we've got our infielder. So if we traded an infielder for a catcher, that sort of we're, we're covered in that regard. But like, even if it's Swanson, you're looking at similar price tags on Swanson and, and uh, Contreras on an AAV uh, discussion, even though it would be a longer deal for Swanson. Let's just say it's about, you know, lower 20s, 21 million, 22 million a year. Throw the years out of it for a moment. We're talking average annual value. I think I do prefer even Swanson to Contreras. As much as I've talked about, I don't think Swanson's a fit. But that's with the assumption that you're trading for Sean Murphy, you're trading for Jansen, you're trading for Kirk and you're, you're fixing the catcher spot too. 
So you're spending that 20-some-odd million per year on Swanson. You're hopefully finding a way to move on from the Paul DeYoung money, at least like $5 million of it, to make it work. You're signing Quintana because you anticipate trading a Flaherty or even a Montgomery if you're getting very crafty with it. Then you can sort of make the rotation fit. You're trading away some of the extra pitchers like Woodford and Libertor and Hudson to make all the rest of the pieces fit together. That's like more 40-man roster and 26-man roster stuff than anything else, but I think it's it's part of what needs to happen. Otherwise, you're the Cardinals and you go, well, we have technically nine pitchers we could use. Why do we need Quintana? Well, because of the nine pitchers you have, I think about two and a half are reliable. Like, I feel good about Michaelis going into the year. I feel good about good enough about Wainwright going into the year. I think Montgomery is solid, but like, even Wainwright's got his question marks based on what happened in September. Michaelis has recently missed entire seasons. He was good in 2022, but he could get hurt again. Steven Matz was hurt the entire year. You know, Jack Flaherty hurt pretty much the entire year. Hudson didn't pitch well. Coming off of uh, Tommy John the previous year. Haven't seen Woodford proven or trusted. Haven't seen Libertor proven or trusted. So, like, in Palante, I feel okay about, but I think he'll be in a bullpen role to start the year. So, like, if you think you've got nine or ten pitchers, that's great, but if you go down the list, you're like, yeah, I don't really know how many of those guys I'm I'm locked in solid about. I'd be pretty locked in solid about Quintana, and I don't think he'll cost a ton, and I think he wants to be here. So you got to bring him back. But you might have to make these other trades before floating a contract to Quintana who goes, well, I see your roster. How many? Where am I pitching? Where, where's my starting rotation spot? Cardinals have some interesting decisions ahead, and I think they've got to act with a, a little bit of haste because if they try to wait out the market like they usually do, they are going to miss out on their targets. Quintana will sign elsewhere. These free agent shortstops will sign. The catcher market will develop without them if they don't find a trade. And then, you know, if you get, like, everybody's sort of waiting for that first shoe to drop on the catcher market. I think it'll be the trades that happen before Contreras. But Wilson Contreras is an individual on his own. If somebody offers him four years, $100 million, and he's like, wow, that's more than I was was asking for. Great, I'm signing. That, that can happen independent of everything else, and it can set the market in motion. Christian Vasquez could say, no, I was offered three years, $30 million by somebody. I'm taking that. Like That's, that's a fair deal for what I, what I think I provide. And then suddenly your backup option ends up signing before your initial options, and now you feel like the pressure to have to do something. So this year more than ever, the Cardinals need to be the team setting the market, in my opinion. We'll see if they're able to do it, and they may have to do it on multiple fronts within the next few days. That might be a little bit of hyperbole, but I think it's a really interesting spot for the Cardinals to be in. I've talked a lot. It's 45 minutes, more than I meant to do. What did I miss? What am I wrong about? What am I spot on about? Let me know your thoughts on this episode and the general thoughts on the Cardinals offseason. Hit me up at bshafer12 on Twitter and Instagram, TikTok, everywhere I'm at bshafer12. Send me messages. Tweet at me. People have been tweeting. We're, we're kind of having the discussion right out in the open on Twitter, and I love it. It's a lot of fun. Chime in with what you think. If you need longer thoughts than uh, whatever the 240 Twitter characters can provide, Always send me a direct message on Twitter. You can leave me a voicemail on the podcast. I believe it's anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message if you want to do that. I'm open and honest with you guys, so I appreciate everybody listening and uh, for your interest. And check out the Patreon. Patreon.com slash bshafer12 is how you support the bshafe Daily Podcast. I'm going to wrap it up here, though. I'm sure we'll have more to talk about in the days and weeks ahead, so appreciate you guys for listening. Stay tuned to bshafe Daily, and we'll talk to you next time on be safe daily. Peace.